This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm Rolf Strabar, filling in for Will Brem. This episode is the second part of a three-part series in which I interview the winners of the Globalization and Education Special Interest Group's Book Award. The award is intended to highlight the most interesting and influential current scholarship in our growing subfield. In today's show, I speak with Howard Prosser, who co-edited the second volume, to receive an honorable mention in this year's competition. Howard is a lecturer at Monash University. Howard, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thanks for having me, Rolf. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, for those who may just be hearing of the volume through the podcast, could you give a brief introduction to the book, its contribution to the field, and just what people might expect from it for those that haven't read it and might be interested? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, the book really is uh, an intervention, in many ways, that we like to think of it, um, around the way that social aesthetics can be brought into um, the social scientific and also education fields, um, particularly linking it to elite schooling and privilege. So what we were trying to do in the book was to show how uh, our study of elite schools, um, which is a larger project which we'll talk about, um, I'm sure, in a moment, um, around the world, how these different elite schools have things that are very in common in the way that uh, they way that people experience these schools. What I mean by that is that when you enter into the schools, an elite school elicits a particular feeling. What we wanted to do in the book was to capture how those feelings take place, or that particular effect, to use a more um, social theory term. Uh, So what we did was to break up the notion of social aesthetics into um, the five senses, so dealing with sight, touch, taste um, and sound Um, and throughout the book we've interspersed little vignettes of our ethnographic experience so one aspect of the book is to present those experiences through the vignettes another aspect is to present our experiences of these schools their similarities and contrasts through visual essays and then more traditionally the other element is uh, the writing of essays around this particular Um, topic of social aesthetics and elite schooling. Um, I think that that's probably it in a nutshell. Great. How did you, in particular, individually, become interested in in these various subjects and come into the project? Ah, that is an interesting one. So I should probably give some background to the project, which um, one of the other Fresh Ed podcasts outlined a little bit with Jane Kenway, who was leading um, the elite schools project as we called it. Um, So it's elite independent schools in globalising circumstances which brought together a range of education scholars particularly who are working in the field of sociology of education to contribute to uh, the discussion around the sociology of elite education that has started to um, you know become a little bit louder as a subfield. One of the main things that the project was hoping to do was to look at British tradition schools, so in the tradition of British public schools as they call them, in various 
former colonies of the British Empire, um, and how these schools were manifesting in today's globalising situation, um, how they were contributing to national leaders or leaders in the field of uh, commerce, and also consider the way that these schools um, were had local peculiarities but also global similarities. So the scholars that Jane brought together um, had been working in the field for you know a, a number of years but not specifically on elite education. So Jane's idea was to bring um, Fazal Rizvi, Cameron McCarthy, Aaron Coe, um, Jonah Fay, um, myself and Matthew Shaw were PhD students on it. Um, into the project um, to get our unique take on these particular locations, some of which, or mm, all of which, and really, we had links to um, through our own professional life or personal life in, in their pasts. So I think that the thing that brings all of the scholars together examining these particular schools was an interest in education, an interest in sociology, um, and a particular interest in um, social relations and how they manifest um, globally and locally in the contemporary world. And I, I should also say that there is a particular uh, historical element to our approach to these elite schools as well because by virtue of the schools themselves privileging uh, the tradition as part of schooling but also because we wanted not just to get a contemporary snapshot, snapshot of these schools but to recognise how global forces uh, influence these schools as part of a longer history of colonialism um, which can then be linked to uh, contemporary globalization. So how were the field sites selected? I would assume the majority of them, if not all of them, were former British colonies. But uh, how was it chosen where you would do this project? Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting question. Um, uh, really, it speaks to the uh, diplomacy of ethnographic fieldwork. Um, so I alluded to the fact that some of the participants had connections to these particular sites and so we really um, leveraged those um, previous personal connections to areas um, such as India, Hong Kong, Singapore, um, Barbados, um, South Africa as well. Uh, and also then had to rely on other connections to in particular places. So we identified uh, nation states which fell under the, um, which we desired within the project and some of which we didn't end up um, looking at say um, Egypt or Ghana or Malaysia which were on our list. Um, and my own study in Argentina was interesting in that um, it was part of uh, the informal empire of the British um, inf informal empire of Britain, um, but added a, a Latin American uh, aspect to the study and, and therefore gave us more of a global scope as well. So I would say that um, selecting them was you know, a matter of saying, well, what are the former British colonies? Um, examining strategically what our connections with them were and then a little bit of good fortune as well um, in, in managing to get into 
the schools. Um, and I'd, I'd add to that as well, you know, um, Cyprus is a case in point because Matthew's experiences there were interesting because, uh, you know, he was allowed into um, the school, um, but the experiences of different scholars in the schools wasn't always um, one of welcoming, so there's always a degree of um, resistance which Matthew found to a certain extent within his school too. And are these, um, this resistance you're talking about that sometimes uh, folks found, which I think is a common experience of anyone that's done ethnography, are these, did for the most part those people that already had pre-existing contacts do field work in the sites where they had contacts, or how did that get split up? Uh, yes, yes, they did. Um, so we had particular scholars like Fazil, for example, um, spent time in India. Um, those who were the key uh, leaders of the project, particularly Jane and Joe, had um, experience in multiple sites. So as Jane ex explained in her discussion, with Will, um, with, this was seen as a multi-sided global ethnography um, and part of the particularity of the study is that the, the ethnographers weren't necessarily spending large amounts of time in these sites. Um, it was the, the fieldwork was um, often short, sharp, um, punctuated moments of ethnographic fieldwork. Um, so, Jane and Joe, in particular, went to multiple sites, um, and Aaron as well explored a couple of other sites as well. Um, so yes, there were some with particular affiliations with those schools and with those nation states, but others were going in um, completely uh, new to the areas as well, which is which gave a richness to the research that we were actually doing. In that, in this, in the same way that any ethnography kind of has the potential insider-outsider dynamic to a certain degree, some folks were double outsiders in that they were coming fresh into a site that they had no contact with whatsoever. Exactly, exactly. Um, which is the beauty of it, really, and the messiness of ethnographic practice that um, you know I think it, prior to going into the field we're very fearful of. Um, how am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be allowed in? Will I understand things? Um, or perhaps if it may lead to a degree of complacency on the part of those who are like, well, I know this particular um, site. Um, so it's that <coughs> issue that we have to deal with within studying the outside and inside, I think, is an interesting one, not only in terms of um, you know, cultural experiences, but also, um, I would say, you know, social relations, and particularly with when it comes to class, because as we're exploring these elite institutions, we all have our own autobiographies about how, um, you know, our own schooling or our own um, politics sits versus these um, elite institutions. And I would also add to that that, they, that those personal experiences and also political proclivities don't necessarily um, or, or shouldn't predispose any kind of prejudicial approach to these elite schools as well. And so we were, we were mindful of trying not to bring those um, ways of thinking into the to the schools, and using that idea, then it's that um, recognizing 
what seems familiar and making it unfamiliar, um, looking at what is unfamiliar and making that familiar as well, and going through that process um, was something that we were very much aware of. Now, how did, because uh, in addition to giving a lot of rich uh, field note data from this larger project that Jane Kenway outlined in, in her interview with Will, one of the main focus focuses of this book in particular was more methodological, a focus on visual ethnography and social aesthetics. How did that come about? Well, I think it's by virtue of the data collection, really, um, in that it's that classic thing where, you know, more photos are taken now than ever at any time in history. So um, when you are actually trying to make sense of the site, um, and it's, it's kind of a li little bit of ethnographer as tourist in some ways, um, you are taking, or we were taking lots of photos, and, and what do we do with those and, and and how do these photos give a better sense or a different sense of what the schools that we were exploring actually felt like. Um, and so bringing this idea of the, you know, a large corpus of photographs into the the actual study itself and, and eliciting, as I said, uh, the kind of feeling of these elite schools. Um, was something that we wanted to explore because after all if we are you know every day more and more um, engaging with this visual experience um, or mediated through if our social life is mediated through these kind of visual experiences we wanted to say well how is it that these elite schools are participating in that on the one hand and also how are we reading the elite schools through these kinds of mediated experiences um, I'd add a second point to that, which is that, um, and it, it links us to the book then, the approach to social aesthetics that we drew upon was that of the ethnographic filmmaker and anthropologist David McDougall, um, whose Doom School Chronicles um, is a series of films, beautifully beautiful films, um, which are in, in some ways meditations on the... Uh, social experience of being in an elite school in India um, at the turn of the century. So he was taking them in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Um, so what we found is that his own study resonated with our interest in the sociology of elite education. We also were interested in exploring different methodological approaches to the sociology of elite education rather than merely writing about it um, and that we had lots of images which often resonated with each other um, from these different schools. So in many ways, and I know lots of listeners are interested in um, comparative education, we wanted to explore how these schools looked very much the same in their particular aesthetics, um, you know, spatially that they were um, uh, deliberately presenting in gardens and you know, we have photos in the books of all of the busts of different leaders of you know, British Empire or the particular schools themselves um, and wanted to see how those similarities then um, really could be captured in 
some kind of ethnographic form. Now McDougall uses film and uses it very well and in our book he very generously wrote an afterword which explores the limitations around writing about these sorts of sensory experiences and, and social aesthetics. Um, and so we wanted to present a, a means of experiencing elite schooling through visual, which we privilege in the book even though it's just one of the senses we talk about. Um, alongside descriptions of other sensory experiences of um, privilege. Hmm. Um, in addition to this edited volume, because we know this came from a much larger project, are there any other uh, publications that interested listeners should be looking for? Uh, there is, there are. <laughs> um, the the group, the Elite Schools um, group, has a edited collection which is being worked on and should be put out towards the end of um, the year. Um, there's a number of publications that have come out of the um, project itself, um, which are listed on the, if you Google Elite Schools project at Monash, uh, there's a list of publications that will come out of that as well. Jane and Aaron have just put together a book on elite education um, as part of the Rutledge series that Lois Weiss is putting out. I'm trying to remember the title, but it's uh, gone from me. But, um, and also, we've, we've also um, had a special issue of globalisation, societies and education come out um, in 2002. 14, I think that was. So there are a, a number as well. Great. Do you know um, if there's if the project is pushing forward in any other form, say even if data collection from this particular project is wrapped up, if it's if any of the scholars involved are pursuing this line of inquiry further in elite schooling or in the British school system? Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, the, the project itself is continuing um, in a kind of secondary form, um, which is that it was a five-year Australian Research Council funded project, um, which is, that, that's now finished, but um, Jane Kenway is continuing to work with the data that we've um, collected um, to uh, produce some further work on elite schooling. Um, there's two other PhD students here at Monash who are working on elite schooling, not necessarily in um, the British Empire. Um, one who's working on Israel, although you know that f fell under the f um, the rule of the British Empire for a period, um, and another uh, who's exploring um, Poland and how the elite schooling system there has shifted. Um, in the post-communist context as well. So there's certainly more work being done that's coming out of it. Um, and I'm continuing to produce um, a couple of things out of it as well. Um, my um, exploration of a school in Argentina will likely be um, put out as a book, hopefully this year or next year. Um, and as for other scholars, um, I can't comment specifically on them, but I know that they um, are certainly interested in the way that the ongoing discussion around elite schooling can be contributed to. Um, because I think the one thing that the 
um, elite schools project that we've been putting together has been instrumental in is expanding the discussion of elite schooling beyond a kind of transatlantic um, or anglophone um, discussion. Well, wonderful. It's a fascinating volume and we're happy to try and bring some further attention to it through the award and all the best. Thank you so much for coming on Fresh Ed. It's my pleasure, Rolf. Thank you very much for having me. Howard Prosser is a lecturer at Monash University. His latest co-edited volume is In the Realm of the Senses, Social Aesthetics and the Sensory Dynamics of Privilege. Next week, I will finish our Focus on Book Award winners by speaking with Sue Motha, the author of Race, Empire, and English Language Teaching, Creating Responsible and Ethical Anti-Racist Practice, which is the first winner of the Globalization and Education SIGS Book Award. Fresh Ed is brought to you by the Globalization and Education Special Interest Group of the Comparative and International Education Society. You can subscribe to Fresh Ed on iTunes and follow the show on Twitter using the handle at Fresh Ed Podcast. The opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not those of CIES or the Globalization and Education SIG, which take no institutional positions. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Ron Strawbar, and I'll see you next week.